0: And it will hopefully wet your husband's appetite for more, and hopefully you will get him hooked. And then the next time you suggest a national park road trip, he will just—he will be jumping in the car before you can even get packed. Yeah, and next
1: week we're going to do an entire episode on on how to manipulate your husband. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to talk about chores around the house, um, what he wears. <laughs> <laughs> what he eats, how he eats, and then other episodes later, we could talk about what, how he thinks and feels, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today is our monthly mailbag episode, where we answer questions from listeners about the national parks, road trip itineraries, hotels, camping, gear, and other travel-related topics.
1: On this episode, we'll give you our opinion on whether Devil's Tower is worth the drive, we'll give advice on an Alaska bucket list trip, and we'll explain the rules about e-bikes in the national parks.
0: Us will hopefully clear up some confusion about the tours in Carlsbad Caverns and the hotels outside Bryce Canyon National Park. A lot of great questions coming up next.
1: Before we get started, we want to give a big thanks to all of our patrons who support this podcast on Patreon.
0: We do, and we also wanted to let everyone know that we just released a new Patreon episode about our epic journey rafting Idaho's Middle Fork of the Salmon River.
1: Yeah, that makes 18 bonus episodes so far over on our Patreon account. With more on the way. Yes,
0: for sure. All right, Matt, let's dive into the mailbag and get right into it, because this first one is a bit of a doozy. (laughs) A doozy? (laughs) Yeah. It might require a little marriage counseling. Oh, okay. All right, great.
1: (laughs) That's my specialty. I
0: know. (laughs) I can't wait to hear it. Although
1: you're the only patient I've counseled over the
0: years.
1: (laughs) 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 So... So it'd be good to get some practice on some other folks.
0: Yeah, we'll see how you do on this one. Okay. Okay. We received this email from a woman who didn't want us to use her real name. So we're going to call her Wanda. And Wanda wrote, My husband and I recently retired, and I want to go on road trips and see the national parks while we're still healthy enough to do so. But my husband has no interest in that. He wants to spend his time playing golf with his friends. Any advice for how I can talk him into seeing the country with me?
1: This is a tough one. If it makes you feel any better, Wanda, you're not alone in this. We get emails and comments all the time from both women and men who say their partner won't travel or they won't hike or camp or just fill in the blank.
0: Okay, so first I'd like to hear your advice for Wanda, Matt. How can she get her husband to visit the national parks with her?
1: Well, one thing you might want to consider you could plan your national park trips where there are golf courses. There's a couple of great ones. uh The Wawona Golf Course at Yosemite National Park. And there's also at Death Valley, the Furnace Creek Golf Course there. That's great. And maybe plan a trip so he can golf some. And then also you can do other things in the national park. And I, I think if he gets a taste of some of the other activities in these national parks, he, he'll probably enjoy it. And then that, you know, that way you're kind of, Working it in slow, and and he'll see how fun it is to do these other things.
0: Well, that's a good answer, Matt. I wasn't expecting that.
1: You weren't expecting <laughs> me to be prepared with sound advice, or
0: have a good answer like that. <laughs> All right. Well, my suggestion is actually for your husband, Wanda. Um, uh, <laughs> that wait. that does not surprise me
1: <laughs> that you have suggestions for her husband. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you limited to just giving suggestions to one husband?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> she asked for advice, so I feel free to give it. Uh, but yes, if you could go get your husband and bring him <laughs> into the room so he can hear this. Uh, we don't have a name for him, so uh, let's call him Wally, shall yeah, we? Wally
1: needs to run. <laughs> run and hide.
0: <laughs> All right, Wally. You know, remember back when you were courting Wanda... Way back. I don't know how long you've been married, but I'm going to assume it's a long time like like we have. Remember when you were courting Wanda and you would do anything that she wanted and everything was fantastic and she was the most important thing in the world to you? I think when we have these long-term marriages, we lose sight of that.
1: <laughs> Gee, who are you talking to? So are you talking to Wally? Well. Wally's not in the room here. But okay? you are. <laughs> So you could look at the wall or something. You don't need to talk to me as if I'm Wally.
0: But seriously, uh, as you always say, Matt, we're companions for life. And I think... I never said that. (laughs) Okay, I said that. (laughs) But I think here's how you could look at it. In fact, you could even say this to Wanda. You could say, Wanda, I don't really have any interest in visiting the national (laughs) parks, but... Because, Matt, because it's important to you, I will go with you and I will embrace it and I will have a good attitude about it.
1: (laughs) So wait, just so I get this correct, he's supposed to do it and have a good attitude about it. That's key. And and like it. That's key. Right. Uh, Do you need to tell him what to think and what to feel (laughs) while he's doing it?
0: No, I'll leave that up to Wanda. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But Matt, I'm going to use you as an example for a minute on that. Y'all know how Matt doesn't like caves and he doesn't like cave tours. It's his least favorite thing. And we've joked about that for years. Last July, we were doing a road trip to Breckenridge and we were making some stops along the way. And we were um, just a few hours away from Custer, South Dakota, which happens to be where Jewel Cave is. Now, when we were there previously the year before, the Cave tours were closed due to COVID, so we still had never seen Jewel Cave much to my disappointment. So as we were planning this road trip, Matt said to me, "Hey, I looked up Jewel Cave, and the tours are back on, and there is a tour, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, and we could drive the two hours over there and see the tour and spend the night." And and you had that, you had that all planned out. I did. So that I could go see the cave with you, of course. And even though I know you hate caves. And you know, that's like one of the most romantic things you've ever done.
1: Really? (laughs) Planning a cave tour? (laughs) I know the bar's pretty low. Yes,
0: yes. (laughs) Okay, so. um. But that's what marriage is about, right? Doing things that you hate. To please your wife or your husband, your wife, yeah,
1: specifically your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, this is this is a tough question because we get this all the time. My mm-hmm. husband won't stay in a cabin. My wife won't, you know, go on hikes. What, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I guess my best piece of advice is go slow. You know, do yeah. a, do do something small that's not much of a commitment for them. And try to make sure it's high quality so they get a good experience.
0: Sure. As we all know, marriage is about compromise, right? So maybe wait, wait. <laughs> maybe what you could do is... You plan one vacation a year, and he plans one vacation a year, and yours is to the national parks, and you get an epic road trip. And he plans one, maybe it's to a golf resort somewhere. Maybe it's Hawaii or wherever. It doesn't matter. You each plan a trip based on your what you like to do. And then, you know, it's a compromise, right?
1: Right. And like I said before, there are a lot of golf courses close by because they know that people – they're traveling and they, there's a lot of golfers out there and and so they know that this is an, another way to attract them to these places.
0: And the other thing too as we always say there are so many incredible national parks that are geared towards people's different interests. So there are, you know, there are battlefields in the south to go to, there are you know, not just mountains to climb, there are river rafting opportunities, there's bird watching, there's biking. So maybe you can also find something that appeals to your husband in that regard.
1: I would try to combine, combine interests, combine interest, yeah, on a trip.
0: All right, Wanda. But before we close out on this, let's let's actually give you some practical advice. You know, it can be really hard to get that first park trip planned because there are so many logistics. So we have a suggestion for you about a parks trip that would be pretty easy to plan with a lot of incredible sites. And this trip doesn't require that you buy hiking boots or backpacks with the 10 essentials or even try to get online to get day-use reservation tickets.
1: Okay, so what you could do is, in the fall, you could fly into Phoenix, rent a car, and then head up to the Grand Canyon National Park. And on the way, we've done this many times, you could stop in Sedona for a night. That's a great place to stop. And then, you know, the Grand Canyon, it's one of the places in the world that everyone should see at least once before they die. Absolutely. That's a a must-see destination. You can stop at all the overlooks. On that Rim Drive, you can look into the canyon. Those overlooks are fantastic. They're all a little bit different, so you could do that. Uh, And there's some easy walks along that Rim Trail.
0: Right. There's also Hermit's Rest. There's a shuttle that will take you to the end to Hermit's Rest, and then you can do a little hiking back down if you feel like it. Uh, But when you're done at the Grand Canyon, then you could drive up to Page, Arizona and do one of the Antelope Canyon tours. These are incredible. Now, you do have to buy tickets for these online ahead of time because they sell out. But you could choose from the Upper Canyon, the Lower Canyon. There is also Canyon X. All of them are just absolutely incredible. Right.
1: And we get a question all the time, uh, which is the best one? They're all different I think they're all equally good. So I, I don't think if you see one and you miss the other two, it's it's like a big deal. Right. And then, of course, right there in page, just literally a couple minutes out of town, you've got Horseshoe Bend. And go there for sunset. Now, it will be crowded, mm. but it's worth seeing, even though there's a crowd – uh, there's enough space along the overlook that you can get right up close to the edge and, and have kind of an unobstructed view and get some good photos, even even though it's crowded.
0: Yeah, it's also one of those places you just have to go and see. And then, you know, as you're driving back to Phoenix, you could take a detour and visit Petrified Forest National Park, where you would be walking among 200-million-year-old petrified tree stumps. Now, who doesn't want to do that?
1: They are actually cooler to look at than they sound. Right.
0: Yeah. And there are a couple of easy trails there, like the Blue Mesa Trail and the Crystal Forest Trail. And those are really an amazing experience, I think, to to see all of this petrified wood. And the landscape also in this park is beautiful, too.
1: That's right. Now, if you have extra time, you could also stop by Wapotki. Or And or Walnut Canyon, both of those are in the National Park Service system. Incredible ruins there. And and both of those are ancient Puebloan ruins, but they're very different. Wapaki has, uh, you know, this big house out in the open. Uh, Walnut Canyon has cliff dwellings.
0: Right. Amazing to see. So Wanda, this would be a great introductory trip that showcases some of the treasures of our national parks and it will hopefully whet your husband's appetite for more and and hopefully you will get him hooked and then the next time you suggest a national park road trip he will just he will be jumping in the car before you can even get packed
1: yeah, and next week we're going to do an entire episode on on how to manipulate your husband <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to talk about chores around the house um, what he wears <laughs> what he eats how he eats and then other episodes later we could talk about what how he thinks and feels <laughs> things like that so so look forward to those episodes coming up here in the spring
0: right I'm currently working on the outline right now <laughs>
1: okay great so good luck Wanda. <laughs> Have you ever, ever tried holding a frying pan over Wally's head while, while you're suggesting this? A cast iron frying pan usually works better than a like an aluminum one.
0: Do you know that from experience, Matt? <laughs> okay. All right, Wanda, good luck. Let us know how it goes. Send us a, a photo of you and Wally in a national park. That would make our day. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. What's up next?
0: All right. This next email comes from Sarah in North Dakota, and she wrote, I know you've done a few episodes on the Alaska National Parks, but I was hoping you could narrow it down for me since Alaska and all the parks is pretty overwhelming. I'm wanting to pick one park in that state to add to my wish bucket for now, a park that's easy to travel to and would give me a good sense of what Alaska has to offer without making the trip too difficult or too expensive. Hmm. That's a really good question. It
1: is. Um, Alaska is just by nature more expensive than any other Mm -hmm. part of the country to visit. But I think if we were to narrow it down to one park... It'd probably be Denali. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the easiest and least expensive to visit because you know Anchorage is uh, a major airport hub for Alaska at least, and so you you fly into Anchorage and go from there.
0: Yes, I agree. In fact, we we chatted about this yesterday, and we both immediately said Denali, like there was no other choice in terms of ease of getting there and expense because there are no small plane flights required to get there, which. All those flights are very expensive yes yeah, so you fly into anchorage and then denali is about a four and a half hour drive from anchorage
1: yeah so you could rent a car uh drive up to denali from there you could also if you didn't want to rent a car and and car rentals in alaska generally are more expensive than the lower 48 um uh, you could take the train mm-hmm. yeah the denali star train from anchorage um, There's a little kind of like village outside the entrance of Denali National Park. So you could stay there. Right. And then get what? You get a shuttle into the visitor center?
0: The train depot is right by the visitor center. So when you get off the train, you know, you're going to have to get to your hotel. Now, most of those hotels in the area have uh, a shuttle that will pick you up at the depot you know take you to the hotel and they also have shuttles then that will take you back to the visitor center and to where you pick up the the buses for the tour. So you just want to make sure if you're going to do the train when you book your hotel, you know chat with them about that you will not have a car. You're going to need to be transported back and forth.
1: Yeah, so now you're all the way up to the park. One of the things that we would suggest you do is to take the bus tour into the park. And We did an episode about Denali, episode 32, and and talked about all the bus options, the limitations on private cars uh, going into the park, so you can listen to that episode for all of those details, but just getting on a bus tour from the visitor center then into the park, that's all the transportation you need because, like we said in, in episode 32, you can get off the bus different places. You can hike in the park and then come back to the road and pick up another bus back to the visitor center. So yeah, you don't really need a
0: car when you're up there. You don't. And we talked about in that episode that you have two options. There are the narrated tour buses and the non-narrated transit buses. We talked about some of those differences. Now, the thing is, this park road is a 92-mile road, but... Currently, the road is closed at mile 43 due to the Pretty Rocks landslide, and it's expected to remain closed this summer, 2023, and next summer, 2024. So it is expected to reopen in 2025.
1: But until then, the buses can still go to mile 43, right?
0: That's correct. And you know, for those of you who have trips planned for this summer or next summer, we are not suggesting that you cancel your trip. You know, you'll still get to see some amazing things along the 43 miles of the Denali Park Road. Uh, Lots of wildlife, hopefully, and maybe the mountain will be out. So it's still going to be an amazing trip for those of you going this summer and next summer. That's right. But if this is your one Alaska park and it's sitting in your wish bucket... We would suggest that you wait until 2025 when that entire park road is open, because you want to get the most bang for your buck, you know, and it's obviously from North Dakota, it's going to be a little bit of a haul to get there. So add that to your wish bucket um, for a couple years from now. And I think that would be a fantastic way to sample Alaska, see its wildlife, see that incredible mountain, and all the gorgeous scenery around there.
1: Yeah, it's not that the other 7 national park national parks in, in Alaska aren't spectacular and incredible to see, but they're kind of spread out, they're a little bit difficult to get to. I think Denali's probably the best bet as far as simplicity and expense.
0: Yeah, I think it has the most bang for your buck.
1: Right. And any year that you do this, get your bus reservations. So once you know when you're going to go, get the bus reservations as soon as you know what your dates are right as early as possible right because those do sell out
0: yes you don't want to get nixed out on that because again it's the only way you're going to get back into the park cars can only drive the first 15 miles of that 92 mile park road so anyway sarah thank you for the question that was a great one
1: okay karen what is our next question
0: Okay, this one comes from Jim in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he wrote, we will be traveling to Yellowstone, Grand Teton, and Glacier this summer, and I'm wondering if they allow e-bikes. And um, just for anyone who doesn't know, an e-bike is an electric assist bicycle.
1: Yeah, they're now able to put – these batteries on bikes He's and uh, just... <laughs> connect them to the cure box and you <laughs> just zip along with it without pedaling. And...
0: I need one of those. I, we I... don't have e-bikes. No, I need an e-bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a pretty hilly area and we don't have bikes, but we keep, we're kind of on the fence about getting e-bikes.
1: Those batteries don't last forever. They're called assisted for a reason, they're assisting <laughs> your other otherwise pedaling uh, of the bicycle.
0: Okay, maybe I need a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> How
1: about a car? Just a car. <laughs> All right, uh, good question. So, the short answer to your question is: e-bikes are allowed now everywhere where traditional bikes are allowed in Yellowstone, Grand Teton, and Glacier. Uh, they're prohibited on backcountry trails and boardwalks.
0: Right. And just one note about Glacier. Um, if you want to ride your e-bike on going to the Sun Road, there are restrictions in effect from June 25th through Labor Day. You cannot bike on sections of that road from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., I guess, because if you've ever been on that going to the Sun Road, there's so much traffic. There is basically no shoulder. There are steep drop-offs. So I think they're trying to avoid having bikes on that on that road during the busy hours of the day.
1: Yeah, people would die. Yes. I mean there is no margin for error on the going to the sun road in many places. There there's no room for a bike to like just kind of slip through with the other two cars that are using the two lane road. So yeah, no, they, the bikes, not a good idea to have bikes with the, the traffic on that road.
0: No, I wouldn't do it any hour of the day, quite frankly, because I think it's, it's also busy early in the morning, but those are the park rules. The park says 11 to 4. So just note that if that's something that you guys wanted to do. Right. But there is, there is a controversy about this e-bike policy.
1: Well, yeah, this this whole idea of e-bikes kind of snuck up on the National Park Service. You know, they had made all of the rules for where bicycles and mountain bikes can go in the parks, and that was all fine. And then e-bikes come along, and all of a sudden, they had to, you know, make some decisions. Are we going to allow these electric-assisted bikes on these same paths and, and, and on the trails?
0: Right, in fact, it was a very sudden decision in 2019 The Trump administration issued a directive that allowed e-bikes on all park trails where human-powered bikes are allowed. Almost immediately, the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility filed a lawsuit. And last May, a federal judge ruled that the National Park Service failed to comply with the National Environmental Policy Act when it allowed e-bikes on the trails. The judge said that the National Park Service can keep its existing rules in place for e-bikes, but it now must conduct its own environmental impact review to analyze the rule's validity. So apparently they didn't do their homework. They didn't do any of these um, environmental reviews. They just kind of rushed in and said e-bikes are allowed, and now they are facing lawsuits.
1: But they did give each of the parks the... Ability to make up their own rules?
0: Yes, they did. The superintendents retain the right to limit, restrict, or impose conditions on e bike use in order to ensure their visitor safety and protect their resources. The superintendents of the parks can decide where e bikes are and are not allowed. So, really, people need to check each park's rules if they want to take their e bikes.
1: Right. So, the reason we're saying this is. It can also change. So if you're traveling to a park, like we say all the time, look at the park's website ahead of time. Do a little bit of research because, you know, what we're saying now could be old news by the time you plan a trip.
0: Yeah, you know in general, e-bikes sound like a really good thing. If people are riding their e-bikes along the road, there's one less car there. There's one less car in the parking lot. People can go farther into the park than they could if they were on a regular bike. So I see that e-bikes can be a great thing in the national parks, just maybe not in some areas.
1: Well, and now they've developed to the point where there are different classes of e-bikes, right? And so... uh... Take Acadia, for instance. So Acadia has these carriage roads that are open to human pedaled bikes. And then when e-bikes came along, they allowed e-bikes to use those roads too. Only class one e-bikes. Now these are where the electronics are pedal assisted only. In other words, there's no throttle and the maximum speed can only be 20 miles per hour as as opposed to Class 2 throttle-assisted e-bikes. And we've heard that visitors are disregarding the rule and riding their Class 2 e-bikes on the carriage roads and causing all kinds of problems.
0: Yeah, ever since the park was established, there have been horse-drawn carriages on the carriage roads, and apparently some e-bike riders have been harassing them. The horses, I guess.
1: Yeah, they've been swerving too close to the horses and cutting in front of them. And in some cases, they've even been touching the horses as they've sped by, and in some cases, slapping the rear ends of the horses. Uh, I mean, just really, you know, bad behavior.
0: Well, right. And because what's happening is people are riding class two throttle assisted e-bikes that can go much faster. And they're, they're roaring in front of the horses and causing all kinds of issues. And there are simply not enough rangers to monitor this and pull these people over. So yeah, it's a thing in Acadia on the carriage roads. And probably in a lot of parks, they're seeing things like this.
1: Well, what if you were, for instance, an imaginary ranger like a like an, <laughs> like an imaginary <laughs> off-duty ranger that carried a ticket book with her or him um, would you hang out on the carriage roads what would be the fine
0: well it depends if they slapped these horses on their rear ends mm-hmm. as they went by the fine it would be outrageous uh, i don't incarceration? know
1: incarceration
0: incarceration and a hundred thousand dollars fine i think
1: yeah mm-hmm. well let's hope the uh, Class two rule breakers aren't around when we're there next time.
0: That's right. They better not be. So anyway, that's the story on e-bikes. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen? There are a lot of people who are proponents of it, a lot of people who are opponents of it. And we'll see what the what the courts rule.
1: Right. And as with most things, it's not so much. The device itself that's the issue it's the behavior that goes along with it you know and if if people are respectful and use their e-bikes in a way that uh, doesn't hamper other people's experience in the park then it would probably be fine but uh, that's not always the case
0: right and just note to anyone interested there is a blanket rule in the national parks that e-bikes are not allowed in wilderness areas period all right there you have it that's the story on e-bikes
1: okay our next question is from Brenda in Sioux City, Iowa. And she says that she will be vacationing in the Black Hills this summer, visiting Custer State Park, Mount Rushmore, Wind Cave, and Badlands National Park. What a great trip. That's one of our favorite uh, little loops to do. And her question is, is it worth the drive to go to Devil's Tower for the day? It'll be a two-hour drive each way from where we're staying. What What would you say, Karen? Our
0: answer is Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's worth it. I think uh, Devil's Tower is one of those iconic places that everyone needs to see in their lifetime.
1: It is a pretty spectacular sight mm-hmm. to see. It's just so unique. Well, is it worth a two, two-hour drive there to see it and then a two-hour drive back? I think so. I mean, spend spend some time there. Get out. You can either do the tower trail loop that's that's the closest one to the tower. It's 1.3-mile loop, and it's I think that's even paved, right? So yes. that's a fairly easy hike or uh, go off and do the red beds loop, which is just a loop that's away from the tower just a little bit more. It's 2.8 miles and doing that, it's not that hard. And
0: no, there is a lot of up and down.
1: There is some up and down, mm-hmm. but it's a good little workout, but you also get to see the tower from all angles. I th- I think it's worth seeing.
0: Oh, I do too. And we also found, I don't think we have talked about this before when we talked about Devil's Tower. We found a great little spot that has one of the most amazing views of Devil's Tower of anywhere in the park. And that is the Joyner Ridge Trailhead. When you go through that little park entrance kiosk, you're going to drive the park road for about two miles and then turn left onto a gravel road. There is a sign before the turn. It says Joyner Ridge. And then you just drive about 0.3 miles. There's a parking lot you can park in. And if you want to do the Joiner Ridge Trail, it's about a one and a half mile loop. Or you could just walk up the hill from the parking lot. There's a bench there. You can sit on the bench and take in the view of Devil's Tower.
1: It's a really good spot. It's almost like you would landscape a spot to see the best view of the tower. There's like a sloping meadow and some trees and then the tower it's framed. I I mean, it's really just a perfect spot to see it. Great place to, to get photos of the tower.
0: And it's also a lot less crowded, at least the few times we've been there, because when you do those other um, trails, the ones that circle Devil's Tower, you're parking in this parking lot that also has the visitor center. And it's a very congested area. There are a ton of people there. So if you want to also get away from everybody, check out this Joyner Ridge area.
1: I, I think it's worth a day trip.
0: I do too. And... I have to say that I was going to mention this at the beginning, but if you didn't already know this, Devil's Tower was our country's very first national monument. Um, It was designated in 1906 by Teddy Roosevelt. So a lot of historical significance. And of course, this place, Devil's Tower, has been a sacred spot for the Native Americans for thousands of years.
1: Yeah, it's one of the seven sacred mountains. Right, Yeah. Okay, so, yes, go see Devil's Tower.
0: Absolutely. Okay, our next question comes from Megan in Spokane, and she wrote, I'm looking at hotel reservations for Bryce Canyon National Park for September. I see that there are two best Western hotels outside the park right across the street from each other. This is confusing. Do you have an opinion as to which one I should book? Uh,
1: yeah, it was confusing to us. Mm-hmm. We even stayed in both of them a couple times each, and it's still confusing to <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's two Best Westerns. Um, yeah, look, they're both fine. I think the, the one on the east side is a little newer, mm-hmm. seems bigger, has more rooms.
0: That one is the Bryce Canyon Grand Hotel.
1: And the other one that's on the west side of the road, Ruby's Inn, it seemed like the Rooms were a little older, but there's also some facilities over there. There's a gas station, gift shop, restaurant. So it kind of feels like there's a a little bit more to, to do. We just walked from our hotel room to the restaurant and I don't think you can go wrong either one.
0: No, I don't think so either. Yeah, the Ruby's Inn rooms were a little outdated. It's an older hotel. The Best Western Plus Bryce Canyon Grand Hotel was built in 2009. I think it's nicer. It's newer. But, you know, you're seeing one of the most spectacular parks in the country. And hopefully you are not spending very much time in your hotel room. So really Either one is a good option, just because of its proximity to the park.
1: Right. This is a park, as with a lot of the parks, you're not spending a ton of time in your room anyway. Right. Uh, so, you know, you might want to just check the price. Just go to the cheaper one.
0: Now, our first choice actually would not be either of those. <laughs> we would suggest if you can stay at the Bryce Canyon Lodge inside the park. It's the historic lodge that sits right next to the rim, and it's it's an amazing place. It's Only open from April through November. And of course, you know, like all these National Park Lodges, it sells out, but you might be able to catch a cancellation.
1: Yeah, if you're going to stay at the Lodge, try to get a cabin. It it really makes it feel like you're having a National Park experience.
0: Absolutely. And one more note, if you're staying at either of the best Westerns, there aren't a lot of dining choices there. So what we tend to do is spend the day in the park, go back to the hotel around four, put our feet up because we've been hiking all day, uh, maybe make a drink. And then typically we'll just, there's a subway sandwich shop that's right next to those two hotels. We'll pick up sandwiches. We'll go back into the park for sunset. So that's just a suggestion as to um, something you could do while you're there.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, One of my favorite places to I know. eat when we're traveling. I know. It's, just, we, uh, it's simple. It's you can get something that's actually healthy if you want, Yes. and uh, yeah, take it with you and go back into the park.
0: Yes, we frequent Subway quite a bit on our road trips. That's uh, that's usually our go to for lunch because you can always find a gas station <laughs> Subway somewhere. Yeah,
1: and this is not <laughs> sponsored by Subway. No. Okay.
0: All right. What's up next, Karen? Okay, our last question comes from Jennifer in Memphis, and she wrote, "We will be visiting Carlsbad Caverns in May, and I can't decide which tour tickets to buy: the King's Palace tour." or the self-guided big room tour?
1: Okay, I think your uh, answer to this is both. <laughs> exclamation <Absolutely>. point. Um,
0: <laughs> Do not limit yourself to one.
1: If she had to decide, what would you
0: say? Well, here's the thing. The big room tour, You need to buy a ticket. That's like your ticket to get into the park. It costs $1. And even if you only spent 15 minutes in the big room on your self-guided tour, it would be worth the dollar. This self-guided tour, it's a trail that runs for about one and a quarter miles. It's flat. You know, it's only going to take you maybe an hour or so, depending on how fast you walk to see this big room. And there's also like a cut through. So if you don't have time or you want it to be shorter, you can reduce your walking distance to about a half a mile. So this is not to be missed, right? Right, There's no point in not doing this.
1: Right. I don't know that it's a question of which one, because you have to buy the self-guided tour ticket anyway. And the big room, it's right next to where you start and end the King's Palace tour.
0: Yes. Um,
1: And if you go in there and you're short on time or for some reason you're not interested, then you're really not out anything.
0: Exactly. But,
1: But you could get down there and think the big room's fantastic and then just take your time, take it hour or two and wander the big room and then also go do the king's palace
0: yes we loved the king's palace tour it's about a one mile distance that you walk it does take 90 minutes because of course the ranger is going to stop and show you things and you're going to sit and listen to him talk for a bit here's the thing (laughs) this is confusing to a lot of people and it's confusing to me because it used to be you, you would buy your ranger-led tours online ahead of time, and you would show up, and then you could go see the big room. You can no longer just show up to Carlsbad Caverns if you want to see any of the caves. So you have to get online ahead of time, buy your ticket to the big room, and if you want to do the King's Palace, buy your ticket to that as well. So a lot of people don't realize that they show up, and they're very disappointed that they can't go down into the cave.
1: Right. And we should point out that there's no refunds for late arrivals.
0: Well, no. And they are very specific. If you've purchased tickets for the King's Palace tour, you have to check in at the visitor center 30 minutes before the start time. So don't show up at the time of your tour or five minutes ahead of your tour because you will be nixed on the tour.
1: Right. Because there's there's a little bit of orientation that goes on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here's what I would do. I, I think this, is, this would be a perfect day at, <laughs> at bed. So you get online ahead of time. You buy the big room for a buck. You buy the King's Palace. I believe that's $8. I'm not sure about that. You get to Carlsbad Caverns, you check in, you still, and this is also confusing, you still have to pay the park admittance fee. There's an entrance fee. It's $15 for adults, it's free for kids, and of course, for all of us who have any kind of a national park pass, it's free, right? Because we have the pass.
1: Right, the America the Beautiful Pass will get you into the park for free. It it doesn't pay for the tour Fees.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So depending on when your King's Palace tour is, you could take the elevator down, go do your King's Palace 90-minute tour, take the elevator back up, have lunch. There's actually a nice little cafe in the visitor center with some good food.
1: Yeah, they have good food.
0: Yeah. Then I would walk back down the natural entrance because that's a very cool hike down, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Do the big room tour at your leisure. And then if you don't want to walk back out, you could you know, take the elevator back up. And maybe if that bat flight program, if the bats are back from wherever they go in the winter, you could do the bat flight program.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, what you just said is we've actually done, I think, <laughs> that exact itinerary. And uh, that's a, it's a lot of walking and it's a lot of time, but I enjoyed it. You know, I'm not the biggest cave fan. I know. And uh, <laughs> I thought, I, I like walking down the natural entrance yes we've walked down the natural entrance and back out and it's a it's a climb out it's 1.25 miles and 750 feet elevation change but that's okay it's good exercise
0: and the thing one of the things about carlsbad caverns if you haven't been there is they do such an amazing job with the lighting on all of these cave formations this is not if you're imagining like a dark, dank, you know, dismal, creepy place. That is not Carlsbad Caverns. It's like this dazzling Okay,
1: you're, you're <laughs> way, way overselling it. No, this it's is why I love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but they do such a spectacular job of the lighting to showcase these incredible stalactites and stalagmites and all of these crystals and hanging wonders. So I'm just saying that, this is it's a show I think it's a show what are the greatest shows on earth
1: yeah okay so i I, I don't <laughs> think we've answered the question but, but maybe question. <laughs> confused her more instead of yeah instead of either or we added three more things for you to do on your on your visit
0: yes and I do have one more note here when you buy your ticket for this for your self-guided tour again you you have to have this to go to the park you're gonna have to choose a time. But that entry time is based on a 60-minute window. So let's say you choose an 8.30 a.m. reservation time. You can enter the cave, the big room, between 8.30 and 9.30. Again, this is the big room. This is not King's Palace. King's Palace, you have to be there 30 minutes ahead of time. So just, you know, get on the park website. Read all about it. When you book your tickets, there's all kinds of information uh, that they will give you about that.
1: Yeah, one more thing we should mention is when you have your reservations, print them, download them, and print them at home or your hotel or wherever you are before you get to the park. Because the cell service isn't great in the park, and so it's much easier to have a printed copy.
0: Absolutely, and this is good to note for any of these parks where you have to have this now-timed reservation. We had that happen to us in Glacier last summer. I had the timed entry on my phone, but I hadn't downloaded it, and when we got to the entrance booth... I couldn't pull it up because there was no cell service or internet. So that was a little bit of a thing. So make sure that before you go, you know, you've got this, like Matt said, either printed or make sure it's fully downloaded on your phone, like in your Apple wallet or something.
1: Right. That's right. So are they not offering the other ranger-led tours, like like the Slaughter Canyon Poisonous Spider Certain Death?
0: All your you, favorites. You will
1: die if you go on this cave tour? Tour?
0: No, they are not offering any of those at this time, unfortunately.
1: That's too bad. I was going to surprise you and sign us both up. You know, how I'm always doing nice things for you.
0: Right. Because
1: <laughs> that manipulation is working. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, you know what? They're probably going to start offering those tours again pretty soon. So thousands of people have just heard you say that you were going to sign us up. So uh, we will be doing a special podcast episode from Slaughter Canyon Cave. Put that right. Put your scrotum in a vice (laughs) cave.
1: (laughs) That, that'll be right after How to Manipulate Your Husband episode, the mini-series that, that you're going to do. lot to look forward to this, this year.
0: That's right. All right. Thanks for your question, Jennifer. I hope that you love Carlsbad Caverns as much as I do.
1: That's all for today. If you have a question for our mailbag, please send it to us via email at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com.
0: We are currently working on an episode about one of the most scenic road trips in the country, the Cascade Loop in Washington State, that you can do when you're visiting the three Washington National Parks.